What the world needs now is positivity. Connecting, relating, and being human together is where it's at. Hi there, honey German, and I know life happens, but trust, you got this. And State Farm got us. It feels good knowing that State Farm agents are there to help you choose the right coverage with great support 24-7. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry, the world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, look, amores, we have a quick announcement about our iFundWomen campaign. As you may have heard, we're raising $100,000 to cover the startup costs of Locatora Productions and pay our team. We are well on our way to reaching our goal, but we still need your help to get there. If all of our listeners and one friend donated $5, we would meet our goal well before 90 days. Consider becoming a funder of Locatora Productions and contribute on ifundwomen.com forward slash project forward slash Locatora dash productions. A radiophonic novella. Locatora Radio, hosted by Mala Munoz and Diosa Fem. Hola, hola, locamores. Welcome back to season five of a Locatora Radio por Casteras Peligrosas. Listen at your own risk. Locatora Radio is a radiophonic novella, which is just a very extra way of saying a podcast. podcast. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. Today we have a jam-packed episode with a full-length interview. We also have some world updates that we want to share. It's kind of a heavy episode, so just FYI now, take some time if you need to, take care of yourself, come back to it if you need to. Um, 
And as always, practice some good old self-care. 100%. We are going to be addressing... Uh, the recent and ongoing wave of anti-Asian hate, we're going to be in discussion with Grace Chang, and we're going to talk a little bit about the Gabriella L.A. IG takeover that we hosted on our Instagram. But before we do that, some updates per huge, a little housekeeping. Make sure you're following Locatora Radio across social media platforms. Um, we're everywhere. Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, even Clubhouse. We're at Locatora underscore radio. And remember that we are running a campaign 90 days to 100K to launch Locatora Productions. You can fund our I Fund Women campaign. Uh, head over to the link in our show notes to donate directly. If the campaign isn't necessarily your thing, you can always donate to our Venmo at locatora-radio. Escort yourself to our Venmo if you aspire to be our human wallet. Yes, yes, yes. As you know, we're launching our own production company, Locatora Productions. Uh, there are some really cool incentives if you contribute. So think about it. Think about it. And you will hear your name uh, given a shout out on a future episode of Locatora Radio if you do contribute to our campaign. We also want to plug our fave Latina-owned makeup brand, Vive Cosmetics. You can actually get 15% off of your next purchase from Vive Cosmetics with our affiliate code Locatora Radio 15. That's Locatora Radio 15 for 15% off your next purchase from Vive Cosmetics. Also, just going back to the campaign, I want to thank our funders. Thank you so much for getting us closer to our goal. We could not do this without you. And just to give you some perspective, we have 24,000 followers on the Instagram. If each person donated $5, we would meet our goal immediately, basically, and then some. So no amount is too small. You know, if you can't meet the minimal donation of, I think, $75, no worries. Your contribution, no matter the amount, always helps. Truly. So you can head to ifundwomen.com forward slash projects forward slash locatora dash productions. You can also check out the link in our Instagram bio and that'll take you right to the campaign. Also want to give a quick shout out to Profesora Ines Casillas and Profesora Deborah Paredes. We were in conversation with them this past Thursday. Uh, the Chicano Studies Institute of UC Santa Barbara invited us to host another conversation with Deborah Paredes. And she is someone that we admire, that we learn from. And also, in case you didn't know, she coined the term selenidad. And she is, you know, response. She is the Selena scholar, right? Responsible for archiving interviews. Um, a ton of data from when Selena died and also her memory and everything that has persevered afterwards. So check out her book, Selenidad. And there's also a recording floating around of the conversation. So once we have that, we will link it somewhere, probably on our website. Yes, yes. We've been really busy over here in Localandia. And uh, we wanted to take a minute to acknowledge some events in the world. I mean, living in the United States, to be quite honest, the police state in which we really and truly find ourselves, it seems that there is a never ending cycle of 
violence and police brutality and as people with platforms as podcasters as media makers we do feel that it is important for us as part of our radiophonic novella and our podcasting journey to include right um these events in the world and to say the names of victims of police violence as part of this archive that we're creating, right? So we're not going to do a deep dive into each of these recent cases. It would be honestly impossible to give every victim of police violence their their due um, on a podcast like this. But we do want to acknowledge 13-year-old Adam Toledo, who was killed by police in Chicago. Um, we want to also um, acknowledge Dante Wright, um, who was murdered by police in Minnesota. We do have a really important interview with Grace Chang. We've been discussing um, anti-Asian hate on Locatora a little bit, and we provided a platform to Gabriela Los Angeles. And Diosa, do you want to talk a little bit about Gabriela Los Angeles and the IG takeover that they did with us? Yeah, absolutely. So I was connected with um, some members of Gabriela Los Angeles, um, and they are a Filipina-led organization based in LA. They're a grassroots organization and they are just working on dismantling imperialism. And so they did an incredible takeover on Locatora Radio. I was so impressed by the media assets that they created. They were super educational, informative. I was super impressed and like really amazed by the amount of work that they put into teaching us about what they're working on to teaching us about the history of imperialism in the Philippines and also contextualizing the recent waves of hate crimes against the Asian community as something that is not recent, right? It may be in the in the sphere right now, in the news sphere, but it, there's actual historical... Um, events that have transpired for decades, right, that have led us to this moment. And so it's not has not just been the pandemic, but a ton of other things that have um, historical events that have happened in the past. So if you missed it, do not worry, you can head over to our IG stories. They're saved on a highlight under Gabriela. And if there is an organization that you think should have an Instagram takeover, like let us know if you're a part of that organization, send us an email. We would love to offer the platform. As the podcast continues to grow, we cannot always offer an interview. And so we're trying to get creative and, and um, really lean on the different platforms that we have, whether that be the Patreon. So definitely you'll be seeing more interviews on the Patreon or if it's an Instagram takeover, a newsletter shout out, all of that. So we're really trying to get creative with the way that we uplift different voices on Locatora Radio. And so it might not always be on the podcast, but definitely know we are trying to create space in some way in Localandia. Yes, yes, we are. It's a process and we thank you all for being here on this journey and for rocking with us and riding with us and for tuning in. So we also want to plug, that being said, a really cool Patreon interview that we did recently with one Julie Pinero, who is a really um, interesting person, stand-up comedian, writer, podcast producer, and uh, Latina, who is currently 
uh, performing a mixed media show called De Lejos that comes from a really sad, really tragic place. Diosa, do you want to share a little bit about Julie's story and her partner who figures so prominently in this show and that she talks about in our interview? Okay, so Julie Pinheiro wrote this really incredibly moving, incredibly vulnerable show that she's hosting over Zoom. She's performing over Zoom. There's still tickets available. And it's also free, by the way. And it comes from a tragic place like Mala mentioned, where her partner was brutally murdered at the end of 2019. A couple months later, we go into a pandemic, right? And so while she's dealing with her grief, she creates this show. Her partner was a VR creator. She takes his background in VR and uses that as a way to preserve his legacy, preserve his work, and also reimagine what the relationship could have looked like. And it's incredibly moving. And I think that we've all been experiencing grief in one way or another this past year. And that was also what moved her to create De Lejos. Yes. Um, You may have heard of the murder of uh, Julie's partner. So his name was um, Jose Zamprano. And he was only 26 years old. He was working in, like Diosa said, VR. And he was a video game developer, an entrepreneur who was making a name for himself. Um, So if you don't know about the case, you can read more about it. Head over to our Patreon become a subscriber to listen to Julie's full interview. And you can um, also get a ticket to her show and support. It's going to be running through basically the end of this month. So head over to Patreon to learn more and to tune into that um, really moving interview with Julie Pinheiro. Okay, so now we have the immense honor and privilege to chat with my former professor, Grace Chang. She is a professor at UC Santa Barbara, an overall amazing, badass individual. Uh, She's a writer. She's an author. She is an activist. uh, And she's just an overall, you know, amazing, phenomenal person that I've had the immense honor to learn from. And we're all going to be learning from her today. She has an amazing background, expertise, knowledge, all of that. So without further ado, here is our interview with Grace Chang. Welcome, Grace. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Diosa and Mala, for for inviting me to speak about this really important or to have this conversation about this incredibly important um, set of issues. And it's so nice to be back in touch. Absolutely. Thank you. You know, before we dive into the conversation, I would love to give you the time and space right now to introduce yourself and, you know, in your own words and talk about your work and, and anything you want to share with us. Well, um, I guess the way that we have connected is, as you mentioned, uh, I've been a professor at UC Santa Barbara now for um, almost 20 years. And I primarily teach about social justice movements. So I teach about social justice movements, particularly from an intersectional framework. And I try to look at how people's experiences of uh, living and working at the intersections of of so many different axes of oppression and um, how that influences both their experiences as um, people who are 
are survivors of, of oppression and also how they fight back um, and the ways that that can influence as well the success or um, or demise in some cases of um, coalitional work, um, solidarity work, um, the different ways that movements can be divided from each other and people can be pitted against each other um, in movement work. And I think that that's sometimes, those are sometimes things that people don't want to look at per se, or they want to, they don't want to highlight them necessarily. It's, it's not necessarily good PR, but it's incredibly important to look at how sometimes movements can be at odds with each other. And it's because we are um, being pitted against each other, both as individuals um, with our experiences and in movements and in organizations. So that's kind of the framework that I um, write and teach within. And um, I think that it plays out so much in the work that I'm doing right now, the research that I've been doing now for about two decades on um, human trafficking and the ways that organizations that are supposedly or allegedly carrying on the mission of anti-trafficking um, can often actually be very destructive and damaging towards people who are, are being exploited on the level of trafficking, yet they're not being identified as so-called victims of trafficking. And I use the term victims because it's the legal term that people use in order to, it's unfortunately the legal term that, um, an identification that makes people eligible for different forms of, of support and resources as victims of trafficking. Um, I don't use it in the, in the sense of poor, helpless victim who can't do anything for themselves. Right, right. <laughs> and, you know, you probably remember me ranting about how <laughs> people who are um, often identified as, as victims are, in fact, the, the most able and the most um, competent in, in being able to fight for themselves and to fight against the exploitation and victimization that they might have experienced. So rather than someone coming from on high or coming from a very paternalistic or maternalistic position um, or colonial uh, perspective, quote, saving <laughs> victims, um, right. really like to look at how um, people save themselves, people fight for themselves, they fight intergenerationally and um, across lots of different boundaries to try to to do solidarity work and to try to to expose where we are being exploited across different lines or oppressed um, in these um, intersectional ways and oppressors are are sort of quite expert at doing that <laughs> and so right. we have to up our game and and be experts in um, resisting along those lines as well. Yeah, you know, I love that you said all of that. There's so much there. I mean, first about coalition building, right? And I think that we're in a moment, we're having, well, we've been having moments, right? But I think that right now we're, there's this opportunity for these different groups of people to really coalesce and to really build solidarity with each other. Um, and like you said, there has, there have been, many times where these groups have been purposely dismantled. You know, I'm like thinking about the Black Panthers and the Yellow Peril Coalition building that was happening 
And, you know, not that work wasn't, not that work hasn't been happening since then, or any movement building has been happening since then. But I think there's been a way that people have had to kind of go under wraps, you know, Um, and to be creative in the type of coalition building that they have to do, because if not, they're targeted by the state, right? And so I'm really glad that you mentioned that because there's such an, for lack of a better word, opportunity right now to build with each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, I was just looking at an, an article by Victoria Law, um, who wrote in Truth Out, and um, a really um, important, I think, response to the, the tragedy in Atlanta, um, mm-hmm. the historical context and all of it. And um, one of the things, the article is called Activist Counter Anti-Asian Racism Through Community Safe- Safety Initiatives. Mm-hmm. And one of the best parts um, that I think that she talks about is um, so. So first of all, she she talks about the um, Red Canary Song Collective of Asian Sex Workers, um, mm-hmm. massage workers, and allies in in New York, in New York City. And so she kind of traces the very tragic history um, uh, or the sort of initiation of the of the collective, and that was that it was created in response to this terrible um, death of um, Yang Sung, who was um, a 38-year-old massage worker who fell from her fourth floor apartment um, to her death. And she was being chased. Um, It's understood that she was being chased by police who were attempting to arrest her allegedly for engaging in sex work. And um, she had also been sexually assaulted by a person who had claimed to be a, a police officer. Um, she had been arrested on um, sex work charges um, months before that. And I think this was the very awful, tragic beginning of a collective that is very much um, alive and well now and working in um, in Flushing in Queens, New York, and working with um, a whole network of organizations who are demanding the decriminalization of sex work in New York. It's called Decrim New York. And one of the things that Victoria Law talks about is that from the beginning, there were um, there was this history of the um, tragic death of Yang Song, but there was also what she says is that there there were years since that was in 2017, um, there were years where this organization's work could really build and grow and um, be understood within the community as um, trustworthy and reliable. And um, they were, they did door knocking and they did all types of advocacy and assistance, including um, mutual aid and giving people support of whether it was groceries or cash assistance and um, information and, and know your rights and all of the things that, that enabled people to survive and particularly enabled people to survive through this pandemic. Not that mm-hmm. it's over. <laughs> I always right. I think I catch myself <laughs> saying, saying things as if it's in the past. And right. It's not. <laughs> no, it's ongoing. But, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, but, you know, in reading the recent history of, of the, um, Red Canary Song Collective, I feel like it's, it is very parallel with um, what people don't necessarily always think of um, the Black, Pan- Black Panther movement um, mm-hmm. as being 
um, Pivotal Inn, which is also providing mutual aid, but but not just providing it, um, establishing the, the principle of it, right? And the principle was that we do this and we provide basic needs for people to survive mm-hmm. until the revolution. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then when the re- revolution comes, that we're prepared and people yeah. are solid and people are, are, are cared for and have their basic needs taken care of you know, by each other, right? And mm-hmm. um, and that is an alternative to capitalism. And that is an alternative to all of the violent exploitative systems that we experience. So um, I feel like any any collective that is like Reikonersson, that is really following that model and following that historical precedent is, is just so, so critically needed, so revolutionary in that that principle can't get lost. We cannot lose that principle uh, along the way, or we will, um, and we, or we will ultimately fail. Right? Yeah. Thank you so much for providing information about Red Canary Song. I've been following them for a while now, and I like love seeing the work that they're doing. And I think it's a really tangible way to get involved with what they're doing, or perhaps find your own local grassroots organization that's also providing mutual aid and decriminalizing sex work or their goal is to decriminalize sex work uh, because that's a definitely a nationwide movement that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely encourage folks to check them out. Um, so when talking about the shooting in Atlanta, right, there were, I noticed that there was a lot of media attention in the very beginning, right? And then as soon as it was revealed that perhaps some of the women working there were sex workers, I felt that I, that there was less coverage, like significantly less coverage. And I also saw that other Asian journalists were pointing this out as well. So I wanted to hear your perspective on that. And I, I think it's safe to say we know why, right? But let, let's talk about the why. So I, I, I often see both sides of it or two sides mm-hmm. of the point, which is either the media just drops it and is not interested um, or does just... Um, you know, unfortunately, often very racialized, <laughs> terrible uh, uh, accounts, um, mm-hmm. or or there's a particular spin, and in this case, the particular spin was to really focus on on um, massage workers and and how can we and this basically ass backwards idea that oh, oh well how can we avoid this tragedy again? We can avoid it by um, let's raid these massage workers <laughs> and massage right. uh, you know. Uh, places more often, right? And so I feel like there have there has been, to me, at least in the alternative presses that I follow, mm-hmm. um, there's been some really good responses to that and mm-hmm. um, understandings and trying to bring back understandings of, right. of how this is not the way to go. This is that is not going to serve people. Um, and I want to do a shout out to a, um, a report that was done by the Urban Justice Center, the Sex Workers Project of the Urban Justice Center in 2009. And um, as you and I were speaking about, you know, these studies get done over and over again. <laughs> and if um, if people could just pay attention to, to the really important findings of these studies, it would be, that would be really helpful, right? And mm-hmm. the, the bottom line of, of this um, study and the report that came out that was called kicking down the door the effects of anti-trafficking raids 
it essentially said that Melissa Didmore was the author, was a primary author, and basically found that most people who had self-identified as um, having been trafficked actually helped themselves. They, quote, rescued or saved themselves, right? Mm-hmm. They, that it was very clear that service providers did not actually find those cases through raids um, and that people who have experienced trafficking are actually the ones who can best identify other trafficking victims. Um, mm. They know what to look for. Right. Um, and, and on the flip side, trafficked sex workers who had been arrested multiple times actually didn't get identified by the police um, or by other law enforcement as having been uh, trafficking victims. So there you go. I mean, mm-hmm, they're, right. they're virtually, these raids are not only virtually worthless in terms of what they're supposedly trying to do, um, which I have questions about, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, they're also incredibly traumatizing, you know, incredibly impactful to people who are hauled off, you know, have their lives disrupted, sometimes get outed in different ways that they don't want, you know, to be mm-hmm. there. And they're not actually provided with resources or support services or anything that could actually make their lives better. And so what's the actual point of the raid if it's not, in fact, just to criminalize people and Mm -hmm. to terrorize people, essentially, right? And um, yeah, so these calls for, oh, let's let's crack down on massage parlors Mm -hmm. or let's um, increase the the raids um, and really step that up that... Who is that going to serve? That's going to serve the police. Of course. <laughs> that's going to serve uh, of course. sensationalist media. And that's about it. And yeah. it doesn't do anything for these victims or potential victims, right? And by victims, yeah. I mean the, the victims of the shootings, not the not um, victims in in um, this, you know, sort of savior's terms, right? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, there's so much there. I mean, yeah, there's just so much there. Like what you're saying is that, the quote victims, right. Of sex trafficking really are just saving themselves. And it really just complicates, complicates that, that perfect victim narrative, right. That I think very much sensationalizes what these raids are meant to do, right. Quote protect and quote save. But in reality, they're actually just helping the police, as you said, Absolutely. So Grace, you mentioned that there is a lot of lip service being done when it comes to sex work and sex workers' rights. Can you elaborate on what you mean by that? What does this lip service look like? Or what is it? What it, tell me more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm going to go straight to the top. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, Kamala Harris for, for, for a minute again. And take uh, us there. Yeah. So Um, there were these historic raids, um, and it was called Operation Gilded Cage. They, they, they always come up with these fabulous names for these raids. I remember (laughs) one was like Operation Orchid or something. Um, but, but the, the one that I'm talking about, um, Operation Gilded Cage in 2005, um, was supposedly at that time, the largest sex trafficking bust ever. Right. And, and Kamala Harris's uh, response was quite interesting. Um, she and she and Carol Lee, who's a um, longtime sex worker rights organizer, is generally credited with um, with creating the term sex work right, and sex worker. Um, they sort of did these dueling. Uh, they sort of did an op-ed 
battle. <laughs> um, and I can't remember who's came out first, but Carol Lee was basically trying to lay out the spectrum, the whole mm-hmm. spectrum of how people in people can be in sex work voluntarily. They can be not uh, trafficked or mm-hmm. not forced to engage in sex work, but they can still face other abuses. They can be cheated out of their wages. They can be abused by, uh, you know, everyone in law enforcement, right? Police, um, FBI, you name it. And then also after, in the aftermath of that raid, the government was withholding people's trafficking visas in essence, unless they were willing to testify um, sometimes uh, not necessarily truthfully, right? About being trafficked. So if they weren't trafficking victims, mm-hmm. um, they were they were basically facing deportation, or they were sort of given being given this quote choice that they could testify against these alleged traffickers um, and get the goods, right? Get the trafficking visas, get 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 the T visas, and get the resources and services that were attached to that. So as she said, that sounds like an offer you can't refuse, right? <laughs> um, yeah. Right. So, so, you know, she's she's quite humorous. Um, and then Kamala Harris came with her, um, her sort of response to um, Operation Gilded Cage. And so she came, of course, from a very prosecutorial position. Um, and that's always been her, um, her approach mm-hmm. uh, when she was the, the San Francisco DA. And her narrative was really clear. Her narrative was all about, oh, we saved these victims. <laughs> um, and um, she was also very clear to say, no adults can consent to their own abuse. So this is, of course, the kind of classic refrain of mm-hmm. the anti-sex work camp, right? right. Um, they, they, they really um, do a disservice to people's autonomy and their ability to speak for themselves by literally saying, well, you can't say that you're not abused <laughs> because we're telling you, you can't, uh, you can't consent to your own abuse. <laughs> so you can't say that you are mm-hmm. a consenting sex worker because we're going to tell you otherwise. Um, and um, so it's this ideology that there's, that there's no such thing as consensual sex work. That right. all people in, com- in commercial sex are, are victims by definition, right? And that's the ideology that I think Kamala Harris was very much promoting, very much um, aligning herself with for most of her years in, in, in office. And it was quite convenient that when she hit the campaign trail um, for, for running with Biden, um, she really changed her tune and she started coming out in um, more in the decrim camp, the decriminalization of sex work camp which was a really interesting and rapid shift. Um, and I always say, hey, if she sticks to it, great. You know, then I'm not going right. to, I'm not going to fault. Well, I can't say I'm not going to fault her, but <laughs> if, she, if she sticks to it, great, right? Like uh-huh. we need someone in yeah. leadership, Absolutely. In leadership mm-hmm. at this point to, to be able to really shift that narrative and who better to do it than her, right? Um, hopefully. Um, so when push comes to shove, I really hope that she will stick to that, you know? Yeah. You know, and there's a lot of like quote feminists that are anti-sex work, right. And don't believe sex work can be consensual. So there's a lot there. I mean, within our own, you know, different groups of community and circles and movements where, 
you know, we're, we're talking to our own people that sex work is work, right? It is a type of labor. Um, I mean, and that's just, you know, one-on-one, but then to talk about decriminalizing it, you know, it just seems like there's, there's a lot, there's a, there's a, there, there's a lot of convincing. It seems when it comes to like the feminist groups and circles, it's, it's so confusing and really enraging to me. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of work to be done. And, and, and one of my, um, my biggest concerns is that because there's so much focus on alleged sex trafficking, right? Right. Right. Yeah. That, Oh, no one can choose that. And mm-hmm. um, everyone is by definition exploited and, and victim mm-hmm. in, in commercial sex because of that incredible disproportionate, completely exaggerated mm-hmm. focus um, on that industry within the realm of talking about human trafficking, mm-hmm. there are all these other forms of trafficking in other industries that are yeah. much more prevalent that go unnoticed and unattended to and people don't mm-hmm. um, aren't interested in rallying behind the domestic workers um, who are also facing trafficking or people in manufacturing or people in, Absolutely. Um, you know, all kinds of care work. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, capitalism in its existence is exploitative. Any type of labor, you have the potential to be exploited by your employer, by even a coworker or colleague. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And unfortunately, people often want to pick the easy and the glamorous and the sensational stuff and look at, um, and they want to focus the lens on, on sex trafficking, even when they don't even necessarily understand what that, what that term implies. Right. And, um, they are not so quick to come to the defense of or align with, um, supporting domestic workers who are working uh, or home care workers who are working 24 hour shifts um, or domestic workers who are being exploited by their employers and then being dumped during the, um, during the COVID, during the pandemic. And there was one case mm-hmm. of uh, a domestic worker slash nanny who was let go, you know, who was fired basically um, let go as a, as a nice euphemism, right. But who was, was, essentially out of a job. And then her employers asked if she wouldn't mind to FaceTime with the children and the family because they missed her. Wow. Yeah. That is emotional terrorism. That is horrible. Yeah, it really is. But it's so representative, I think, of the way that people think of domestic workers and nannies and care workers of all sorts uh, as, as just ultimately super exploitable, endlessly exploitable and, um, and ultimately disposable. Right. And, um, that is the, unfortunately, I see that as the face of the American public. Right. Yeah. It's an ugly face.
Planned Parenthood asked me to show someone how I see them, like really see them. So this ad is dedicated to none other than you, Diosa. I see you going out on runs every day, trying to reach personal goals and personal bests because you're training for a half marathon. I see the way that you go, go all out. You are putting your endurance to the test, you're training. And I see you as someone willing to try new things and to work tirelessly to meet your goals. And I feel very lucky to get to see you in that journey. Thanks, girl. Yeah, it's definitely a new goal of mine. You know, I'm challenging myself and, you know, I'm trying to inspire others as well. Similarly to Planned Parenthood, thank you for seeing me. Planned Parenthood sees you, truly sees you, not as patients, but as people deserving of understanding and compassionate quality health care and education. Not only that, but they understand the importance of having access to that care. So you can define exactly where you're going. Visit www.bseen.org to learn more about how Planned Parenthood is here to see you become who you will be. That's www.bseen.org. I feel like after the Atlanta shootings, um, so many people came out, like either um, just in social media with personal stories, like, you know, in my friend network or in out in the media about, you know, different things that we've endured along the way. Like, I can't tell you personally myself how many times I've been um, approached by people who want to tell me about their Asian wife, their Asian girlfriend, um, mm who they have, um, you know, who they fucked in the, <laughs> in, in whatever part of their lives, right. Uh, who happened to be Asian, right. An Asian woman, um, who they, yeah. I mean, who they encountered in, in their exploits during, um, during their time in the service in the military service. Right. So, um, I even sort of dredged up. I, I, I remembered in the aftermath of the shootings, something that I had sort of like, I, I think suppressed for quite a while. I, I was a, I think I was a high school student sitting on a school bus waiting for the you know bus to take off, right? Mm-hmm. We we're just all lined up there. And I think there were just a few more moments for people to like pile on the bus. And somebody who was the brother of a friend of my sister. So I like vaguely knew him. Mm-hmm. Um, he walked up to the right outside the window of the bus and he made a gesture like he was shooting me and he like sh- oh, wow. to gesture shooting me several times mm-hmm. um, and and then he shouted something about gook blah 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 right <laughs> and I didn't even mm-hmm. really I didn't even know that that term gook right I knew the term chink I had heard Think I heard Jap. I had not heard that particular racial epithet before, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know, yeah, these are the things that that so many of us have experienced. And when this type of incident, um, which sounds so minimizing, even to call it an incident, right? But mm-hmm. when when a tragedy like this happens, yeah, it triggers us all. Um, the night of the shooting, actually, one of my friends, who's a Filipino woman, she she texted a few of us, um, these two other uh, women who are, two other friends of mine who are, are also Filipino women and myself. And she said, don't look at the news. It's triggering. Trust me, 
you'll thank me. Um, and of course, like that was very hard to do. Right. So, so right. I don't think that I, that I actually did that fully, but it's interesting what my, where my mind went immediately. I first thought, okay, well, what could it be? And I came up with all these theories, right? My first thought was, oh, they've done something horrific to the young people um, trying to cross the border right now. Right? That was my first thing. My second theory was, oh, some cop just got off, right? From some, some killer cop just got off and um, yet again, right? <laughs> and that mm-hmm. sort of actually brought me to, when I was talking about that in class the other day, that brought me to the double meaning of, of that, uh, you know, those words, some cop just got off because in my research um, around these issues, it's become really, really clear that, that one of the primary abusers of sex workers are cops, right? Cops and law enforcement are constantly harassing and abusing, attacking, raping sex workers, right? Uh, for a price, right? For the price of of, of so-called protection for the price of not, um, not turning people in. And there are just too many instances to mention of the NYPD, the Seattle PD, the San Francisco PD, um, you name it, of one scandal or another where it's found out that cops are extracting either money or sex acts for in order to um, not arrest or not turn in um, sex workers in, in, in various contexts, right? And um, that's a really, really important uh, piece of the picture mm-hmm. that I think doesn't get focused on. And instead we have, you know, people clamoring about, oh, well, we should really like do more raids on these <laughs> massage parlors to, to mm-hmm. um, you know, to try to prevent this kind of tragedy from happening. and. I don't know about you, but that just does not compute to right. me from any angle. No, it doesn't. Like to protect and serve who is what we're constantly, we've been asking, right, for many years now is who is law enforcement actually protecting and serving? Well, themselves and actual property, right, and whiteness and white supremacy. Yeah, thank you so much for bringing that up. I, I wanted to ask you as a final question. You mentioned, you know, just simple protection for either sex workers, care workers, immigrant workers, and that there's a pretty simple answer for may, ensuring that this these communities aren't as vulnerable, right, to whatever forms of attack or violence. Can you expand on that? Yeah, absolutely. So the very simple answer, um, it's a one word answer that, that we could definitely expand on among us is, is decriminalization, right? So undocumented uh, migrant workers are, are criminalized, right? Um, sex workers are criminalized. Um, care workers are not criminalized exactly in the same way, um, but they are often excluded and left out of basic labor protections, right? Care workers of all mm-hmm. sorts. Um, and so all of those things point to the same things. If you truly want to protect people, the best way to protect people is to ensure that they have some basic rights that other, others, others at least presumably theoretically do, right? So to start from that basis of, okay, what are the 
what are the ways that people are especially vulnerable to exploitation and violence? Um, and almost always the answer to that is that they are being criminalized, they're being dehumanized, and they are being excluded from basic protections. Um, that seems really simple to me, but it doesn't seem to be something that is moving really quickly <laughs> um, in the public arena, or at least any time. Right. And I have some really good examples, in fact, of some other uh, campaigns that are that are happening now that I think would be really wonderful to be able to, to sort of like do a shout out or call. Um, yeah, absolutely, please. Okay, great. So um, one of the first ones is um, there are home care workers who are personal tenants. Um, you know, many of them are elder Asian women, elder Chinese women. And I want to point out too, because I think that this, this doesn't always get the attention of people, but so many of the women who were um, the workers who were um, victimized in the, in, to, in the Atlanta shooting, many of them were over 50. In fact, most of them, I think, were over 50, right? They were, um, they were older women. In this case, in the campaign that I'm mentioning in New York, um, it's called the Anti-Woman Campaign um, after Sojourner Trees, of course, right? Mm -hmm. And so they are, they're basically fighting for the right to not have to work 24-hour shifts. And when I mention that to, to people offhand, sometimes people are like, what? <laughs> right? They can't even believe that um, we're talking about a 24-hour shift, um, especially in something as intensive as home care. Home health care mm -hmm. is intensive, right? It's, it's lifting people. It's helping people to, um, to toilet, right? It's helping people to turn in bed, sometimes to turn people, you know, within a certain number of hours back and forth so that they're not getting bed sores. It's helping people to eat. It's helping people to, to do any number of things that, that they are needing assistance for and very intimate work, right? Very intimate assistance. Um, and so in that respect, I feel like that care work is just as intimate as sex work, right? And people don't, I think that because it's not as glamorous <laughs> and, and literally as sexy as, as, as people like to think of, um, you know, in the sex industry, right? Mm -hmm. So people don't want to pay attention to it. And this campaign was, is a longstanding campaign. Uh, these workers who have been fighting for themselves, advocating for themselves, first they were fighting for mostly to get back wages uh, back. And then it has somewhat expanded now to um, try to, to recapture some, some rights that they had managed to get in these um, lawsuits that they had filed. So they had filed lawsuits um, and they had been successful in uh, not being, you know, in getting some back wages and also not um, being held to the 24 hour work shift. And then lo and behold, Andrew Cuomo <laughs> said, well, in the context of COVID, you know, during the pandemic, we need emergency measures. So let's go back to the status quo. So so they were back to square one. So all they're really asking for, it's a, it seems to be a very tall order, even though it shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. They're asking for separate, separate 12 hour shifts. Um, what has been happening and the, the status quo that Andrew Cuomo seems to be so happy to sell 
um, these workers down the river for is, um, as well as their union, um, SEIU 1199 uh, has, has not actually, I'll just put it bluntly, has not served them well, has not represented their interests well. You know, the status quo has been that they've been working 24 hour shifts, but then being told by their home care agencies to um, only report, I believe it's 13 hours um, so that they get they only get paid for that. Because if they report longer hours than that or, or they confess, right, admit to being um, working around the clock, then they will often stand the chance of losing those jobs, right? Um, which they can't afford that either. <laughs> So it's a, the choice, the so-called choice, and it's a false choice, obviously, is to either work around the clock and be completely exploited and exhausted and suffer lots of health issues themselves and never see their families or to lose those jobs, right? To lose those sources of income that are sometimes the only source of support for their families. And I just wanted to add that these are women who they were garment workers, many of them, um, former garment workers and um, have transitioned to this work. And it's just really incredibly ironic and telling that they are going from one form of exploited labor to another, right? And um, they are, they're immigrants, they're elder, they're Asian women and women of color and, and some men of color. Um, and uh, why are they not being protected? Why are they not being offered basic rights, I think it's it's really easy to see why, right? Thank you so much, uh, Grace Chang, for coming on the podcast and sharing your your work and all these amazing resources and this history and analysis for our audience. For those listeners who are interested in reading more of your work or following you and um, learning further from you, how can they do that? Um, so I'm working on a book. Um, I'm working on a book on human trafficking and it's going to be published by the new press in New York. Um, that is, I want to say imminently coming out, but I, uh, I think that's a, a little too optimistic. In fact, I think that the, some of the recent things that have happened in the context of the pandemic, including um, this tragedy have, have compelled me. I really feel, um, you know, I feel compelled to make sure that I incorporate these, um, these accounts into the, into the story because it's just really important to address them. And I think they are unfortunately really good examples of how um, this is playing out in the national discourse. So um, I'm gonna be um, including those stories in, in the book. Um, I also have a previous book called Disposable Domestics um, and that's by, um, that's published by Haymarket Press um, and shout out to Haymarket. Shout out to new, the new press as well. Um, both of those presses have been doing some really great um, I think, you know, they've been doing some really great programming. Amazing. We will link the, the Haymarket press in the show notes so that folks can buy your book, support both you and also the publication, um, because we love supporting 
all of that. So thank you so much, Grace, for joining us today and sharing your, your knowledge, your expertise with us. It's been truly wonderful to speak with you and learn from you once again. Absolutely. It was very, very nice to be in conversation with you again. And I appreciate you both for addressing this issue in a, in a real concerted way instead of just sort of like uh, flash in the pan, you know? So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. All right. Thank you. Thanks Thank so you so much. Great. A radiophonic novella, Locatora Radio, hosted by Mala Munoz and Diosa Fem. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and in the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry. The world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.